Talk with Elise DeLucci, episode 137. Yes, I had to change the name for legal reasons. We were crazy effing mommy. Now we're New York Talk. Somebody emailed me. They said they own the name, crazy effing mommy. It's like, all right, fine, keep it. What do I care? New York Talk is way better. Nobody owns it. And it's much more encompassing of this podcast. Hello, given my voice, who I am, and where we broadcast from, which is the Upper East Side how are you doing? How's your week? I've been like in some crazy book mode. And I have great news. The book is finally out. You can buy it on Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. You can finally use those Barnes & Noble's gift cards that people give you. And you're like, who's giving Barnes & Noble's gift cards still? Like, who's shopping there? Right? Who Like, don't you just buy everything on Amazon? You know, we shouldn't. Because, I mean, come on. Like, how much more money do we need to give Jeff Bezos? But... The book's out. You can get it. It actually uh, trickled out on Kindle earlier in the week. And you know how I found that out? My mother. I don't, and I can't even, I can't even get into that. But she read an excerpt, I guess, apparently that came with the Kindle pop-up. And she called me up, or actually she didn't even call me. I got messages that were less than savory let's just say and I'm just like there's nothing bad what are you doing like why is this such a big deal anyway you know how Italians are they're just they god forbid god forbid anybody talks about anything that really happened any of the business they they freak out I said nothing bad I said I I said to my aunt it's like a business book in a lot of ways it just takes my upbringing and my experiences in the corporate world and 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 stuff my family taught me and it and the books about how I succeeded and how you su- could succeed it's an inspirational book Ugh. anyway so it trickled out on Kindle and when it first you know I it came out on Kindle I noticed like it wasn't fully there right I guess they 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 seep books out the publisher like I don't even know how it works but now Kindle the Kindle copy is there live as is the uh, hard copy, you can buy a hard copy, copy like I said, on Amazon.com or on Barnes & Noble. It's called Wise Girl, How the Mafia Taught Me to Succeed on Wall Street and in Comedy. I don't know if succeeding in comedy is podcasting from your living room, but you know what? We're going to go with that. <laughs> Speaking of podcasts, you know whose podcast I was on this week? I'll let you know when it airs. One of the Real Housewives of New Jersey, Margaret Josephs. Do you know her? Fabulous. So fabulous. She invited me on her podcast. She does a podcast uh, with her and Lexi Barbudo, her best friend. These girls were so fun. They said, oh, you know, we know you have a book coming out. We love your comedy. Do you mind coming on our podcast? I said, do I mind? I would love that. And Margaret has a huge following on Instagram. You know, she has like 700,000 followers or something crazy like that. She's an entrepreneur. She started a, uh, I think she's a fashion designer, but she started a a homewares line, um, you know, like places to, like little, like places and things, tchotchkes to put your shoes and put all your junk in the house. I think she sells it uh, at Walmart and whatever. Anyway, point is, we went, we met in their studio. It was so fun. Of course, I showed up with cookies because that's what we do. You can't go somewhere empty-handed. And she's like, you brought food? I'm like, yeah. Like, what, what did you think? I was going to come. 
Like, I did a baby shower, and I brought a gift. Like, you know, that's what, and I don't do shower. I think I told you, I'm not a party comic. I told you this weeks ago, months ago, weeks ago. But we had a great time. I think the episode airs next week, like week of April 18th or something, April 17th. Um, it was just an hour-long girl talk about my book, a little bit about how I, you know, got into the business world, how I grew up in a middle-class, blue-collar family neighborhood in Staten Island, semi-attached house, Monte Carlo, parked in the driveway, the whole nine, how I was inspired by an aunt that I have uh, when I, from when I was very young. My mom's sister, she had a big job, big fancy job in mutual funds, and I remember being at her apartment at like a young age, like seven or eight, right? And on the Upper East Side. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is fabulous. She's fabulous. I remember being in her closet, looking up, seeing her collection of shoulder padded power suits, her little small collection of Salvatore Varinas on the floor. And I was like, are you hiring? I want in. And that, you know, and that, and then I modeled my sort of steps as I got older after her, right? And, um, and then I talk about, you know, just uh, all the, 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 the crap, all the shit that I dealt with in the world, world, the book. They talk about the book. Anyway, and we talk about other things, family and da da da. You'll love it. Um, out next week, I will post it. Fun ladies, have you heard about this thing called the feud experience? Or maybe it's FUD, F U D E. I think it's feud. Uh, if you want to have a dinner naked, then you should go to thefeudexperience.com. I have no interest. But, like, let's talk about that for a second, okay? There's uh, a person named Charlie Ann Max. She's an artist and a model. And uh, she decided, I'm going to start this dinner series, The Feud Experience. And it's $88 a person. You get a vegan meal. It's on the Lower East Side. And if you want to have this $88 vegan meal on the Lower East Side, you got to send in an application on her website. And here's the thing. Here's the rub. You're eating dinner in the buff. You're eating dinner nudie. That's right. That's right. No clothes. Who, who in their right mind wants to sit down at a dinner table with your significant other, with your stomach flopping out, your love handles? Can you imagine? I get it. It's an experience. It's a thing. You know, it's it's a total episode on Sex in the City, right? I I just won't be going. Sorry, Charlie and Max. And $88 for a vegan dinner? Like, why? I'll open up a can of beans. I'll have my own vegan dinner in my house. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there used to be a restaurant. I don't think it's open anymore. There used to be a restaurant in Tribeca called Ninja. And basically, you would eat in the dark. It was like a ninja-themed restaurant. And you'd go, and it was expensive. You'd go, it was a hot place like 10, 15 years ago. You'd go, you make the reservation, and you sit in the pitch black, eat your dinner, and as you're eating, ninjas jump up at you and scare the life of God. Can you, can you imagine? First of all, I have no interest in some of these experienced dinners. Okay? I do not want... A ninja scaring the shit at me. Well, at this, I don't want a ninja scaring the shit out of me while I'm eating a meal. Okay, I don't want to have spaghetti bolognese and having somebody scare me so bad that I have to regurgitate it in my hands. You know what I'm saying? And then the ninja, you you eat in the dark, like 
okay, this is New York City. We just hired our first rat mayor to take care of the rat problem. And you want me to pay money to go eat a meal in the pitch black where all kinds of roaches and rats could be just scampering around? What are you kidding me? How disgusting is that? The, the restaurant run, went, you know, the restaurant did really well, but I don't think it's open anymore. And speaking of, speaking of, one time I was at a, a Thai restaurant in Williamsburg, again, years ago. It was called C. It's still open. And it, uh, when it first opened, like 20 years ago, it was like the hottest thing. It was like the only Thai restaurant around, at least the only Thai restaurant in Brooklyn. It was in Williamsburg. Williamsburg was just on the come up. You know, it was starting to get gentrified. Italians were still there. The Hasidic Jews were still there. And they still are, by the by. Um, but they, you know, they were opening these restaurants and one of them was C. And it was this big warehouse-like Thai restaurant, super cheap, right? Everything was like under $10 or under $15, whatever. And me and my girlfriends, we went. And we sat in these little wooden booths, you know, almost like Japanese-style wooden booths, you know, like where you, you're like sitting in to the table. And I remember being there. And the table was like a neutral wood color and a little tiny neutral wood-colored cockroach crawled right across my plate. Can you? I know. I know. So then fast forward to when Ninja opens and they're, they're advertising, hey, come eat dinner in the dark and let a ninja scare the shit out of you. I was like, how about uh, I rather not, you know? Come on. Let's be serious. And on the, the, the restaurant talk, a lot of diners have closed in New York City. Do you like the diner? I feel like we're diner people. I feel like all of my listeners are diner people. Like when I was on Margaret's podcast, she was like, I don't know if actually it was on air. It might have been after we taped. But she said something like, oh, you go to the Hamptons in the summer. And I said, yeah, sometimes. Or I go to the Jersey Shore. You know, I don't have a, a summer house yet. But I go around. And she said, oh, you're definitely caviar. She said, you, you live a caviar lifestyle. And I, but, you know, her tag is like on a tuna fish budget. And I said, I was like, yeah, but on a tuna fish budget, you know. And I, I feel like they're also diner people masked as like, like their their appearance is like so glamorous, but they're definitely like those down home girl, girlfriends on the tuna fish budget that love a good diner. And I love a good diner. First of all, I love that they're open twenty four hours, at least the good ones. I love that you could be casual, and I love that the menu is a smorgasbord. You can get a, a tuna melt, an omelet, or you know, spanakopita or zuppa de pesh at any given moment, depending on your mood. But Neil's Coffee Shop was a famous diner on the Upper East Side. Look it up. I think it was like on Lex and 70th, right near Hunter College, uh, right actually, so far, right near my where my auntie lived, my mom's sister, my godmother, the one I said how I used to like, you know, idolize her when I was like six, seven, eight, whatever, um, with her power job and everything. Neil's Coffee Shop, it was the cutest place on the corner. It had those great fluorescent lights, like a great font, you know. And it was an iconic New York place. Closed down. Closed down. And uh, Three Guys is another diner on the Upper East Side. That's on Madison. They have a couple locations. But Three Guys is on, I think, Madison and 96th. It was okay. I wasn't a big fan of that diner. But they were open for 33 years. And they closed for business. You know, because 
the landlords raise the rent. And I just want to know, like, like where are people eating? Because, okay. So last night I went out to dinner with Chris, right? We went to uh, one of my favorite restaurants, Match 65. If you're in the city, you got to go there. It's on 65th and Madison, between Madison and Park. It's a French brasserie. Food's delicious. They have outdoor tables. Really good people watching there. And it's very authentic, you know. And by the way, they put bread on the table. They didn't charge for it. Butter's cold, but you know, I don't, I'm not going to totally complain. And uh, it's just a great scene. It's a great scene, right? When I go there, I'll get the steak frites. Sometimes I'll get a burger. Last night I got a cheeseburger with salad, you know. And I didn't eat the bun. Okay, I ate one half of the bun. It was a brioche bun. I mean, how do you expect me not to at least indulge in half of a bun if it's brioche? It, that's like a butter bun, you know? Don't, I actually, I, ugh, I can't get sidetracked. But my weaknesses with buns are brioche buns and potato rolls, like potato buns. Or, oh my God, Hawaiian rolls. Have you ever went into the store and bought those Hawaiian rolls? They are, if you, next time you go to the supermarket, when you go in the bread aisle, go pick up uh, this pack. I don't know what the bread, is a King's Hawaiian? I don't know. Go pick up this pack of Hawaiian rolls. They're small little rolls, and I feel like they're probably good with, like, pulled pork like on them, you know, like that kind of thing. They're so fattening. Like, there's absolutely no way on God's green earth that you can eat Hawaiian rolls with your lunch every day and actually lose weight. Like, I'm just, but you should go and you should try them if you haven't. Anyway, anyway, I digress. So, I met Match 65 last night. I get the cheeseburger with the salad. Chris gets hamburger, fries, fine. Excuse me, have to sneeze. Oh my God. Shoo! Shoo! You know, I'm actually allergic to chocolate. And my kids left a couple of Cadbury cream eggs just rolling around. And I'm not allergic to chocolate where I can't eat it. I just sneeze. Anyway, okay, back to the story. So I'm at Match 65. We get the burgers. I already knew what I was going to have. That's what, that's what I was in the mood for. But when the menu came, they changed their prices. They raised their prices. I almost don't want to say this because I go there so much. But I didn't notice because I usually get the same thing. But they must have had a, a recent price. The steak frites... Skirt steak and french fries, $47. I know. I know. Ridiculous, right? I mean, like, that's just very expensive. Now, yes, you're on 65th and Madison. You're in the heart of the Upper East Side. Fancy pants McGee. But that's out freaking rageous. I've had enough with the prices. I mean, you know, I can't, I can't stop talking about it. Okay, so uh, in the New York Times style section, somebody wrote in a cute question I thought you'd appreciate. It says, hi, I'm going to New York City with my family for the first time. We're going to be going to Broadway shows, museums, dinners, and so on. What should I bring that'll make me fit in and look good and not look like a tourist? Nancy from Tucson, Arizona. Here's the answer. I think it's so cute. I expected the answer to be... Like, wear all black, look miserable, have your giant sunglasses on, and just flail, like, flail cabs 24-7. But the answer's the answer's cute. It's great. And says, the quintessential New York look may be more about how you carry yourself than how you actually dress. 
They said people come to New York to reinvent themselves, to become themselves. They come to New York to leave their mark. And New Yorkers are built from the inside out. And that's what makes those people seem, air quotes, so New York. So whatever you wear, wear it with confidence. Worrying that you won't fit in is the thing that's going to exactly make you not fit in. That's the advice summarized. I, I took out some of the lines because it went on and on, like, you know, about styles. and Who gives a shit? But isn't that the truth? If we could all, all of us that are listening to this podcast, if we can all go back and talk to our younger selves, so California, right? So California for me to say something like that. But you know, I got, I, you got to do it. You got to do that. Otherwise, you got, otherwise, you got, you're gonna go insane. So it's so, it's so Buddhist. It's so California. But anyway, if, no matter where we come from, where we live, whether we live in the breadbasket of America, whether you know you're you're on the East Coast like me, whatever. No matter your socioeconomic status, every single one of us has dealt with stuff in our childhood. And if you can go back and tell your younger self anything, the best thing, I think, one of the best things you could tell your younger self is just be confident. Just whatever. Whatever you do, do it with confidence. If you give a presentation when you're a young kid, do it with confidence. If you interview with it, do it with confidence. Right? If you if you have a, a an outfit that you're wearing on Easter Sunday that your mother bought for you from Kids R Us, <clears throat> ma, like... <laughs> Where you dress like a porcelain doll, <clears throat> ma, not cool at 12 years old. You know, wear it with confidence. And everybody, you know, you'll start a trend. It's so true. It's so true. And on on the fashion note, Mary Quant, do you know Mary Quant? Mother of the miniskirt. She just died at 93 years old. I was sad to hear that news because she's born in 1930, which is the same year my grandmother's born. And for the last 10 years, I've had like severe anxiety that my grandmother is like always going to die. I know. It's like I'm, I'm, I've like put in my head that she's, you know, when she was 82, I said, oh God, this is getting up there. I'm so scared she's going to die. You know, because I was so close with her in my 20s. I mean, as life goes on, you know, I couldn't call her on the phone every night, but like, I adore my grandmother. So when I saw Mary Quant, British woman, mother of the miniskirt died, I was so sad. But it's so funny. Uh, I only really found out about Mary Quant a couple of years ago when I was reading an article because, you know, you hear about all these designers and it's like, what? Like someone invented the miniskirt? Like it wasn't like, you know, like a Balenciaga or like a, you know, like, a, you know, like a Versace. Like what? You know, like you kind of, don't realize like there's so many people that don't get enough notoriety for their inventions or their successes right and like um what I loved about Mary Quant was not only did she invent the mini skirt she invented it out of necessity because she wanted women to have an article of clothing like a dress or something you know an article of clothing that they could move around in and be comfortable in and you know, do tasks in, you know, and um, you could jump around in. And so she made this short skirt. And as she would go out and wear them, and by the way, she she did it on her own, like, of course, because if you want anything done, do it on your, do it yourself, and then you'll be successful. Don't wait for anybody else to make you successful. We all know that, right? Come on. And uh, so she started wearing it, and people saw her, and they were like, oh, my God, I love that skirt. Make it shorter, make it shorter, make it shorter. And during the mod mod you know fashion years that was that was her thing so we have you know Chanel Dior a Mary Quant you know what I'm saying um 
What I love, though, about Mary, besides the fact that she did it on her own and rest in peace, is she comes from Wales. She's the daughter of Welsh teachers, and, you know, Paulie the Tooth is from Wales. So his, his parents are English, but my ex, you know, he, he was uh, raised in Wales. He was born, actually, in Africa, whole thing, born in Zimbabwe. I know, it's crazy. Lived in England for a bit, and then his family bought in Wales because when he was a young boy and that's where he was raised and um just so you know raising being British and you know being English and living in England and then moving out to Wales is the equivalent of living in Staten Island and moving out to Jersey like it's that kind of equivalent distance wise and it's also that kind of uh, equivalent like you can get more for your money and that's what it was you know they wanted more for their money they wanted land they wanted you know better schools whatever anyway uh mary quant's parents they attended cardiff university which is where paul's from he's from cardiff and actually paul's mom went to cardiff university so yeah i loved that i i said oh my god i gotta say that on the podcast and mary quant not only invented the miniskirt she invented pattern tights thank you thank you I like pattern tights, you know? I love them. Oh. Everybody's wearing those. Well, not now because it's getting hot, but a lot of people wearing those Gucci tights. You know, they're like the tights with the G's all over them. Not me. I don't. Why am I going to wear your logo on my legs? Like, on my crotch? Like, are you paying me to wear that? Get the hell out of here. But I love. But I do love, like, pattern tights. Like, fishnetty, like, you know, like, net, netty things. I like, like, I like leopard tights, even though they sometimes they look weird. Like you literally, like you look like a leper. You know what I'm saying? But I like all that. Um, speaking of inventions, have you guys heard of? Wait, this is so crazy. The butter candle. The butter candle. Yes, this is a candle made out of butter. It's exactly as it sounds. So apparently, this was like this huge TikTok trend. I missed out on it. And what it is, it's uh, you get um, a stick of butter or a bunch of sticks of butter. This is how you make it. You want to know how to make a butter can? Same make it. You get a stick of butter and you melt it. Spread it, like, you know, get it soft. Spread it in a giant piece of plastic wrap, right? So you're not melting it to where it's liquefied. Like, you're spreading it until it's soft. L- like, spread a big layer on plastic wrap. And then take a candle wick, which you could buy on Amazon. You know, they're like, it's the wick, the top thing, but it also looks like a long string. And you lay the wick inside, you know, like put the wick sticking out the top, but the, 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 the part that you light. But you lay it inside this layer of butter, roll it up, and refrigerate it until you're ready to use it. So you're like, okay, great, Elise. Like, what do we need? Okay, this is the thing. Here's the rub with the butter candle. You put the butter candle in the center of your antipas and you as and you light it. And as it drips, you dip bread in it. So I you know, listen, it sounds a little kooky to me, but it also could be like a really fun conversation piece. So the recipe that I read for the butter candle is you could make any kind of butter candle. So I guess if I was gonna do this I would maybe do an herbed butter candle. Maybe I would put some like thyme, like roasted garlic, you know, maybe some, 
I don't even know. Like what? Like yeah. Like I don't know. Maybe herbs de Provence, right? Like I'd get my, you know, I I I I'd, I'd get my butter, the 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 softened butter. I'd put the herbs in. You know, I'd mash up the the roasted clove of, or cloves of garlic into the butter. Mash it, mash it. Spread it, spread it. Lay the wick, roll it, and then once you got this hard big column of butter you put it on a dish you know right in this small little dish on the center of your antipas i don't know it sounds a little crazy i might try it i don't have wicks <laughs> do you <laughs> so i did actually look on amazon i was like can i get a wick around here they had like they were selling bags of wicks like a hundred wicks i'm like all right i make i might make one butter candle i don't need a hundred bags of wicks for ten dollars so i didn't i wound up not buying it i still might do it though i think it's a cute idea my question is though when you light it right like does the wick give off any side any uh, a type of poisonous something that you're not supposed to be you know like dipping and eating this this fire butter stick <laughs> right and the other thing about food on tiktok i don't know if you saw is that um it, there's this thing which i didn't know rice poisoning rice food poisoning rice yes like white rice so you know you get chinese you got the extra box of white rice say you don't want to keep it in the the, the white uh container and you throw it in a tupperware you put it in your fridge apparently if you store rice the wrong way it could give you violent food poisoning and there are these people on tiktok that are saying i had rice and i got violently sick and uh it's the worst food poisoning they ever got in their life and apparently according to doctors they said that uh there's toxins produced by like some microorganism that's the culprit of the food poisoning it has some fancy latin name don't ask me to pronounce it i don't know but it's anything. It's not only rice. It's uh, grain-based food. So it's rice, pasta, quinoa. If you store it the wrong way in your fridge, this bacteria can form and cause stomach issues, vomiting, diarrhea. Okay, here's the thing. I've been making macaroni for the last 39 years. <laughs> plain, like, like plain with just butter, soy, every kind of sauce you could ever imagine. I've always had leftovers because I don't know how to cook with portion control. And I've eaten it probably way longer than I should. Never got sick once. So maybe I'm storing it in the right kind of containers, but I don't know if the same container that I get the mozzarella from, from Pastosa, is the right container to, to probably to use. That, you know, that, that's the kind where you microwave and it melts. Like, I, I know I need to not do that. But, um, like, what, it, what my question for these TikTokers that were posting this, what were you storing your rice in, right? Actually, for Christmas a couple years ago, I got a very good gift from Chris. He got me a giant Rubbermaid gift uh, like set, Tupperware set from Amazon. And uh, I, I looked it up recently because I had to order like some more pieces because I give them away. And God forbid anybody gives me the containers back. I can't. And uh, it was actually, it's actually an inexpensive. It's like $30 and you get 12 pieces. You know, it's clear with the red top. I wasn't a fan of red because I do, I'll have a lot of blue in my kitchen. No, I like red. I just like blue in my kitchen. Let me clarify. But it's so good. It was actually very refreshing at that time when I got that gift to throw out all of 
the crappy food containers that I have and just replace it all fresh with the Rubbermaid stuff. Of course, I'm back to collecting because I feel like they're just too good to throw out. That's, the, you know, I'm like, oh, well, if I don't use it for like food, I could use them for crayons or stamps. I mean, that's a, that's a real problem. Nobody tells you that when you become a mother. All of a sudden, one day, lady, you're going to grow up, have a couple kids, and you're going to become obsessed with red stained plastic shitty containers they're just gonna overrun your entire kitchen <laughs> oh, yoy, yoy. so Paulie the Tooth he sent me a really sweet email the other day thanks Paul I know he listens to the podcast mm. I didn't think he listens but he told me he did which I thought was cute he's been supportive of everything I've ever done so, you know, my mom, she's annoyed about my book, which it's like, honestly, Denise, get over it. That's my mother's name. And uh, she's annoyed for so many reasons. She doesn't like, you know, like I said, she doesn't like the family business out. She thinks I don't paint her in the best light. It's like, relax. First of all, the book's not about you. It's about me. Second of all, I'm not, I'm not painting anybody. I'm not going to go in public and I'm not going to shame my family, right? I actually think I said in the book, my mother's not the most emotionally mature. And 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 she had a fucking shit fit about it. Her husband texts me, you're dead to us, you, you, you're banned, you're no longer welcome in our house. I would, yes, this actually happened. And I wrote back, I was like, is this text for me? Like what? And he said, yeah, it's for you. How dare you? How dare you say this about your mother, you know, in this book? And how, who do you think you are to go in public and talk? I said, my mom and her husband have been married for, I don't know, 12 years. It's like, I like him. He's very nice. Nice guy, successful guy. But you're not my father. Like, okay, guy. Like, telling me you're banned from our house, you're banned from the family. Like, go fuck yourself. Like, as much as I like the guy and as much as he makes my mother happy, like, how dare you? And, by the way, wasn't planning on saying this, of course. I never plan on saying half the shit I say. I would never. Let me just say this. To anybody divorced listening or if you're thinking about divorce or whatever, single parent, I would never in a million years allow a man to talk to my kids like that. Never. I don't give a shit if I was married to this man for 50 years. I don't give a shit how bad my kid wronged or fucked up. I would never allow my partner in life to talk about my children, whether they were small or grown-ups. So... I was, and this is not the first time this guy has said stuff like this to me, but I just literally just didn't respond to him. I responded a couple back and forth, and then I stopped. It's like, all right, if you want to be insane, fine. He's protecting my mother. She's upset. He has to deal with her. Like, I get it. But honestly, it's so mean, the text that I got, whatever. So I called the tooth, you know, poor the tooth. And yes, yes, he's my ex, and like, why am I calling him? I'm calling him because we he's still one of the closest people in my life that's why and yes I have Chris and I love Chris and da 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 but Paul is just such an integral integral part of my life like uh and you'll read you know about some of this stuff in the book I mean I don't talk about much about him in the book but it's like he took me out of sort of my shell you know when I was younger and he's just has a different way of thinking about things and seeing the world and he's really like well-traveled and 
just so you know, people sometimes say to me, oh, you marry this rich British guy. No, the tooth is not rich, okay? I made more money than the tooth, just to say. Like, he's not like some, I didn't marry a wealthy British guy and he swept me off my feet and plops me on the Upper East Side. That's not how this whole thing worked, okay? No, no. Uh, no. But I told him about the book, the mom, the husband, the whole thing. And he said to me on the phone, go call your boyfriend. <laughs> Actually, he was like, go call your boyfriend. I don't want to hear. You're not my responsibility, Elise. But here's the thing. He said that, but then he was like, but your mental health and your emotional well-being is very much important to me because of the girls. And I do love you. And I care about you so much. And, I, you know, I, I'm so impressed with all the things that you've done in life right so I want to like listen and help you but I can't have it like take over my day fair enough that's fine good he's a good I got a mensch that's what I got I got a mensch so anyway he sends me an email after we got off the phone and I told him all about that and it was uh and I want to read it to you this is all the email said 12 Ted Lasso leadership lessons for life this is very quick but Ted Lasso, if you don't watch the show, you got to watch it. It's about, you know, the, I, I talked about it in TV talk, like maybe last year when the first season came on. It's about an American football coach and his assistant football coach get uh, sent to the UK to go coach Premier League football team, like a, like a not really that good football team. And it's very cute. And I think it's on Hulu or Amazon, Netflix, one of these. And... Uh, Ted Lasso has this refreshing, you can do it, who cares, like almost like whimsical, awkward, cringy, but like lovable personality. And it's so different than the Brits, these like self-deprecating Brits. So it's, he, he's such a nice character. But anyway, everybody that sees the show winds up falling in love with Ted Lasso for, for various reasons. So Paul sent me this, all it says, 12 Ted Lasso leadership life lessons. Number one, believe in yourself. Number two, do the right thing. And doing the right thing is never the wrong thing. Number three, all people are different people. Four, see good in others. Five, courage is about being willing to try. Six, vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. Seven, tell the truth. Eight, winning is an attitude. Nine, optimists do more. 10, stay teachable. 11, be a goldfish. If you do something wrong, do not let it define you. Forget it like a goldfish within 10 seconds. And 12, happiness is a choice. That was all the email said. No, read this. No, thanks, Paul. No, best, Paul. Nothing. And I read the thing, and I wrote him back, and I just said, thank you so much. I love this. These are great. I'm going to save it, you know, share it with the kids one day, you know, or whatever. And um, I'm going to think about some of these things. And here's the thing. All of those 12 lessons are fabulous. But the, the, the one at the bottom, the last one, happiness is a choice. Like we talked about this recently. Like it's just an emotion, happiness. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're sad. I'm miserable half the time. Like but that, that's, that's life, right? Um, my family, whatever, whether it's my mom or her husband, whoever, they have a choice. They could be happy for me or they could just be mad at me. It takes much more energy to be upset with somebody. It takes much more 
energy and uh, brain power to be frustrated or to be upset or just whatever. I wish my mother called me uh, or, you know, or someone contacted me in a normal way and said, hey, I read this little thing. Like, so what's your book actually about? You know, or, oh, so what's actually like, what, did you, you don't think I'm mature? Like what, you know? And truth be told, I actually wound up deleting that line in the book. I, I, what, I, I wrote to my editor and I said, I don't know if you have any control over the book at this point. I said, but can you like get a revised manuscript to the publisher? I need to take out this line. Apparently it's causing World War III in my family. And he was like, well, World War III isn't worth it. Let me try. And he did. I deleted the line and I changed it to something else. But so whatever. It's not even there anymore. But like, let's just think about the Ted Lasso life leadership lessons. Okay, people. I mean, happiness is a choice. Let's be happy for other people. And by the way, you got to believe in yourself, right? That's the number one lesson on that list. You know, nobody is going to believe in you as much as you. Like, I know that sounds shitty because I know there's probably so many of you listening that have parents or friends that just believe in you, anything you do, put all the good juju behind you and say, even when you're down, you could do it, you could do it. It's always important to have those people, those cheerleaders, those champions, those people that'll pick you up if you fall down. But deep down, you have to believe. Deep down, I believe I have had a story to tell deep down I believe that my life is literally a comedy routine and that's why I became a stand-up comedian because I grew up in this very blue-collar environment had the best childhood ever and then worked my way into the corporate world where I was a complete fish out of water you know and then married the Brit from Africa Wales whatever you know going to his country where there's a tiny little village and people drive their horses to the pub and all they have in their little village is houses, a post office, and a pub. Literally, that's the only stores they have. They don't have Uber and Instacart and these things. I mean, it's it's just a rural, different life, right? Like, I, and I couldn't, and then of course, him and I with the kids and when my kids were younger, they really had British accents. Now they're losing them because they were in school and they say just, they just still say the British word. They say tap instead of faucet, bin instead of garbage, you know, that kind of thing. Um, they, they're not talking full on British as they were when they were younger. But um, I felt like my life was a, a comedy routine. So that's why I started stand up, right? I just couldn't believe all these these juxtapositions of personalities and life, like, and life things that I was doing, right? You know, and then, of course, I'd go to the office, right? And I would be, like, in France, Cannes, in the south of France, like, speaking, like, for 2,000 people at some digital tech conference. And then I'd be, I was, I remember one time, I'm on somebody's 15-bedroom yacht in the south of France, you know, like, drinking a frosé, frozen rosé. That's what they drink there. And, like, mingling with all these people that were, like, from the upper echelons of the world who went to Dartmouth, who went to Yale, who went to boarding school. It was like, and here's me. They're like, where'd you go to school? I'm like, uh, the streets of New York. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, I felt like my life was a comedy. Anyway, and I learned things. I learned things. My family taught me. And I learned to use my street smarts to get ahead in the business world. And that's what that book is about. So I'm so, I was so hurt by that guy, right? 
uh, and his text to me, like, you're no longer welcomed in your house. It's like, all right, well, go screw yourself. I don't need to come to your goddamn house. And I didn't say that to him, but that's what I'm thinking. So it's like, one, Ted Lass, believe in yourself. Two, happiness is a choice. I'm happy. I'm proud of the work I put out. So you'll read the book. You'll let me know what you think. And by the boy, can I say, if you read the book and you buy it, can you accept, keep, put a review on Amazon? Like, I can't stress this enough. That is so important because I don't know about you, but when I try to find Lululemon dupe leggings on Amazon, I don't even read like half the shit. Like I, I just look at the reviews and that's what how I make my buying decisions, my purchasing decisions. But when you do go on Amazon, you will see the real reviews uh, of the book. Like when I say real reviews, I mean the, the reviews that are printed on the back cover. You can read them um, in I think like the blurb somewhere I got amazing quotes Judy Gold comedian amazing Adam Ferrara amazing comedian Dennis Dugan uh, the director Adam Sandler's comedy uh, film director he directed uh, Happy Gilmore I now pronounce Chuck and Larry uh, Bobby Finero from The Sopranos uh, Vincent Pastore from The Sopranos I mean like I got amazing reviews because they read it and they wanted to support the Deloach so thank you everybody and pre thank you to you for buying the book and uh leaving a review and and i just want to say one last thing on the book the book is for sale on amazon for 25.99 and that price annoyed me and i want to tell you why and i don't get 25.99 of that book i think i get like six dollars or something or five dollars for every book sold not a lot not a lot you're not in when you write a book unless you're a bestseller which would be the goal and i would be so fortunate to have right uh but that's very uh, hard to attain but um you know when you write a book it's really uh, it, you're you're writing it because you want to put your voice out there and you you want to see what other opportunities will come from it of course and you know you want to you you have you have a message you have something to share with people of course you think you could help people or you have a store whatever you don't really do it to make money so i i that was the the, the price choice that i had and uh and i make that that it's five six dollars a book so it's kind of crappy but it is what it is most the most money goes to the publishers and the distributors and blah 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 blah. anywho that's that comedy world did you hear the comedy seller bought a mcdonald's the con there was a big mcdonald's on a seventh was it six or seventh sixth avenue sixth avenue in greenwich village big mcdonald's on the corner the owner of the comedy cellar, Noam, he bought it. He's going to turn it into another comedy club. So we'll have to see how that goes. That's going to be exciting. That's exciting news. They have a lot of locations, the cellar. That's my doorbell. Oh, you know what it is? It's my Whole food Coming! It's my Whole Foods delivering. I'm actually not coming. I'm doing my podcast, but I say that. It could stay out there for a little bit. So, okay, product of the week. I mean, come on. Would I not be silly if I didn't say the product of the week is Wise Girl by Elise Delucci? <laughs> That's the product of the week. Buy the book. Let me know what you think. And here is the quote from George Clooney. Oh, so delicious. And by the way, do you not love the fact that George Clooney, America's most, ba America's most eligible bachelor, had his absolute pick of any single human he could be with everybody loves cloning and he picked a girl that didn't need him huh. a lawyer i love that i absolutely you know and look at him so happy here's the quote 
My father gave me the best advice of my life. He said, whatever you do, don't wake up at 65 years old and think what you should have done with your life. That's it. That's the mic drop for today's episode of a New York Talk with Elise Delucci. Oh my God, we are killing it right now. I'm very happy. Tomorrow, um, this weekend, I will be hosting for Eric Del Sandro and Vic DiBetetto. I'll be at the New Jersey Pack. Uh, some of you might have tickets. I might see you there if so. Otherwise, I look forward to reading your reviews on Amazon. I look forward to talking to you on social media, in the comments, in the DMs. You know I read everything, and I will talk to you next week. Love to love you, baby. <laughs>